leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The study of microbes and their interactions is changing our understanding of biology, but only a small fraction of microbial species have been cultured. One of the challenges researchers have faced is the limits of existing tools used to study microbes. We spoke to Peter Christie, co-founder and CEO of GALT, about our emerging understanding of the microbiome, the need for a technological transformation of microbiome-based science, and how his company is hoping to fuel the emergence of new insights with its high-throughput technology to isolate and cultivate microbes. Peter, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to chat. We're going to talk about GALT, General Automation for Lab Technology, microbes, and the challenges with microbiome research. Perhaps we can begin with the opportunity and the recognition of not only the role microbes play in human health, but the potential to target and exploit them to address environmental, agricultural, and industrial applications as well. What's the excitement today to target and harness microbes across industries and, and application. What's what's the potential? Well, I, I mean, that, that's a really interesting question and a, and a very profound question, Danny. Um, and a, it's good to have the opportunity to talk about. Um, going back about, and I'll, I'll focus on human health and wellness um, first, going back about 10 years, I think most people just viewed the microbes in the gut as being microbes in the gut and they were potentially involved in helping digestion and that was it. And a lot of the focus around human health and wellness was drugs and DNA sequencing and sequencing the human genome and such like. But um, in the last um, few years, there's been a huge amount of work that's recognized that the gut microbiome and the other microbes that live on the human body actually have a very profound impact on human health and wellness. And they do that in many, many different ways. Um, and it's you know well known now that uh, there's a very large number of microbes on the human body. More than 50% of the cells um, in a human body, body are actually microbial in nature and, and not human in nature. And there's a very large number, uh, multiple 
um, multitudes of genes, microbial genes in the human body that far outnumber the human genes. So they're really an integral part of human biology, and this has been a realization that's um, just developed uh, quite recently in science, I'd say in the last you know, five, ten years, and it's starting to really accelerate now. So not only is the microbiome been linked to many, many different disease states. Many of those disease states are not intuitive, that there would be a microbial connection to them. Um, but also in terms of key biological processes, such as training the immune system, um, uh, drug uh, resistance or drug susceptibility of, of individuals that was previously primarily um, uh, thought to be genetic in nature. Now we're finding the microbiome has a uh, impact on drug response. And then even more recently, people have uh, discovered that there's been a microbiome um, in, in different tumor types, and that can uh, impact the growth of the tumor and the way it reacts to drugs. So what we're seeing in the human wealth and health and wellness arena is that this group of microbes that no one really took much notice of, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, um, is now realized to be a critical and integral part of, of who we are and what we are as human beings. Um, and there's a huge amount of um, interest now in understanding um, how these microbes do this. Um, and so there's a lot of really, really great science to be done. So that's the human health and wellness field. The, the second aspect that, that you referred to is around agriculture. Um, and again, <clears throat> you know, in agriculture, um, there's been the, the first green revolution that started in the 50s. Um, a lot of uh, driven around uh, genetic engineering and, and uh trait selection in plants and development of fertilizers and such like. And that really helped feed the world in terms of where we are now. But now the entire agricultural industry is focused on the issue of how do we feed, you know, nine or ten billion dollars on the planet by the or nine or ten billion people on the planet uh, by the year twenty fifty. And we need another green revolution. And and the and the industry sees the the microbiome of plants uh, and uh, how microbes can help plants become more resistant to pests and more productive uh, from a growth perspective, um, that microbiome-related science is going to be a key aspect of um, how we um, can increase uh, crop productivity um, to, to meet the needs of, of this expanding world that we live in. So I'm looking at it from a life science tools person and a scientist in this field, and I'm, I'm looking at this and saying the microbiome is so important in so many different fields, um, in human health, human wellness, in agriculture, and how we feed the planet, um, that is just an incredibly important field of science that we need to do as much as we can to drive our understanding of the microbiome and how it works as, as fast as possible. I, I think many people would argue that the microbiome revolution and, and world of biological projects has not moved as quickly as anticipated. What role has the available tools to study and decode microbes and their interrelated communities played in, in slowing progress? Um, I, I, uh, I think the field is actually moving very fast. Um, you know, remember, it's a very nascent field. Um, it's only been... Um, really focused on in, in the last five, maybe, you know, 10 years with the advent of next generation sequencing 
and the application of next-generation sequencing to microbial communities and really help understanding the complexity that exists in those communities. And that realization is actually quite recent. And there's been a huge, um, you know, a progress in the field that, in, in terms of not understanding the underlying mechanisms per se, but understanding that the microbiome is a critical factor. It's really important, and we have to understand it. So, so that that's the stage that we're at now, and and the field is is very very nascent. Um, you know, my concern is that. Right, we have this realization, we have a viewpoint into the microbial communities and we understand how important they are. And so what we need to do now is delve into the science and, and get um, a very detailed understanding of what's going on. And the tools that exist to do that today to support microbiome research um, it, as you go into a wet lab environment and, and do cell biology, um, they're not adequate to really answer the questions that we need to answer today. Well, what is GALT and how did it come about? Um, that, that, I, I, this is a, a really interesting story. So um, GALT, GALT, the mission of GALT is to provide new tools in, into the microbiome research lab to enable microbiome researchers to answer the questions that they need answered to understand microbiome biology. That, that, that's what it's all about. So the, the way we started is, um, you know, a, a, you know a, few, a few years ago, I, I met up with um, someone who had come out of the ag bio industry. And, you know, he was... Um, you know, very aware of this issue of cultivation um, being a problem. Um, so w what happens is that, you know, you may take a, a sample of some type, say a soil sample, and from that soil sample you want to cultivate specific um, microbes of interest. And then when that sample goes into the cultivation lab, suddenly it hits um, technology that was invented 100, 150 years ago. So the process of cultivating target microbes is really slow, really inefficient, and you may get your targets in a week, or you may get your targets in two years, or you may get only a, a small proportion of your targets. And that is a significant barrier to um, both the science of the microbiome as well as generating product candidates for, for downstream evaluation. And the reason it's so slow is people are used in those laboratory environments. The standard is um, just using Petri dishes um, and, and streaking hundreds and hundreds of Petri dishes and picking colonies and then trying to, trying to generate um, candidates from that. And it's really slow. Um, and this technology, as I say, the Petri dish was invented in like 1887. The Bunsen burner was invented in 1855. Um, so that's the state of the art of technology in a, in a microbiology research lab today. You compare that to a genomics lab today where you have a lot of high throughput analytical instrumentation that helps scientists do what they want. Or if you compare it to a cell biology lab where you have flow cytometers, um, you know, high content screening and, and very fancy microscopes. None of those specific tools exist in a microbiology lab, and, and that's the reason things are so slow. 
So, so coming around, you know, to um, you know how Galt was started is that you know I, uh, you know, I, I, I connected um, with this individual and we sat down and talked about it, and we realised that this was actually a very generic problem and very well recognised problem in microbiology that microbes were just very difficult to cultivate from environmental samples. And there's a number out there that um, is in the literature that less than 1% of the microbial species on the planet have ever been cultivated in a laboratory. So there's a huge amount of richness and biodiversity that we just don't understand and can't access because these cultivation techniques are so archaic. Um, so we talked to a lot of people and found out this was a very generic problem, both in academia and in industry, to a point that people weren't even, many people weren't even attempting to cultivate from samples because they said it's just too difficult and too troublesome. And at that stage of the game, I, there was a general acceptance that that was just the way it is. You know, things are difficult to cultivate, and so we've got to find other means to, to get around that. And so Mike and I sat down. We said, no, we, we, we don't accept that. You know, we believe that this is simply a problem and that this problem can be solved. So we started the company um, to do that. Um, and then we went through and said, right, step by step, what do we need to do um, to uh, address this problem of cultivation? Because we knew that the downstream impact of that would be very fundamental to the field of microbiome science and the development of microbiome-based products. Um, and the, the, the positive impact of solving this problem would be absolutely huge. We, we've had great advances in sequencing technology. Why is that not enough with regards to understanding the microbes? What are the limitations of sequencing in that regard? Yeah, well, sequencing, I mean, sequencing is just such an incredibly powerful tool, and it has catalyzed our understanding of the microbiome and how important it is. Um, but it's not the solu it's not a 100% solution. It, it, it doesn't provide you everything you need. And, you know, basic, I, I think the very core pro um, limitation of sequencing is that it's a, a see-but-not-touch modality. So it allows you to get a snapshot of what is in a microbiome in, a, in a, any situation. So with sequencing, you can understand, you can measure the microbiome of a healthy individual and compare that to an individual with a disease. And you can look at differences and you can say, right, based on those differences, I have a hypothesis about what may be going on. Or you may look at a person who has a disease and then monitor that over time and then look at the microbiome. Um, over different time points and you can see how it changes and again based on that you can you can generate hypotheses if you but if you want to reach in and if you see a, a really interesting microbe or a species and you think aha I, I, I know what that species is doing or I think I know what it's doing you can't pull that species out take it into a lab and test your hypothesis and prove it so next generation sequencing is great at 
um, understanding complexity, and gener- but generating hypotheses about mechanisms it's very good at. But in order to validate those ho- hypotheses, you need to take isolates into a lab, into a controlled environment, and do testing on them to validate or, or not um, your hypothesis about how that microbiome is causing or impacting a particular disease state. And the analogy I draw is between uh, cancer research and and microbiome research, is that in cancer research, there's a really close relationship between genomic analysis and understanding what's going on genetically or, you know, from a DNA perspective in this particular tumor sample or this particular cancer type and the cell biology that occurs in the lab where people are working with cancer cell lines, they're doing pathway analysis, they're doing knockouts, they're doing drug screens, they're doing a lot of cell biology in the lab that feeds from the genetic information. And then the cell biology uh, insights then go back into the bioinformatics and then help people interpret the, the genetic data more effectively. So that loop works very well in cancer because you have the two elements working together. In microbiology and the microbiome research, uh, the primary emphasis is, is currently is just on next generation sequencing um, because the tools in the, in the cell biology um, sphere in microbiology are so antiquated that it's really hard to do those kind of experiments. So what we're doing as a company is targeting that and saying how can we increase the capability in the in this wet lab or cell biology environment um, to increase the power of microbiome research so that the bioinformatics and the cell biology can talk together in a very synergistic matter, manner. You've developed the Prospector, which is a, a high-throughput microbial isolation and cultivation system. What exactly is it and what does it do? How does this change what scientists are able to do? So it does <clears throat> two or three things. So the first is that, um, you know, one of the problems with the current tools in um, being used in microbiology labs is that they're very low throughput. Um, so a typical te- petri dish um, per device, you, if you're generating isolates from it, um, it uh, generates maybe 50 to 100 isolates per device that you can you can pick off on that. Um, so there's a necessity, and then that's okay if you're working in a clinical environment or you're working with a single bacterium like Pseudomonas or you know, Staphylococcus or Streptococcus from your throat or whatever. That, that works fine. If you're working in a complex ecosystem like a soil microbial ecosystem or or human fecal ecosystem, these may contain many hundreds or thousands of different um, species that are all interacting with each other. So fundamentally, you need a a far higher sampling rate or a far higher throughput capability so that your technology scales to the same level of complexity as your sample. So the first thing that the prospector system does with its array-based cultivation approach is vastly increase the number of sampling points per device so that you can start to generate isolates and generate insights into the microbiome um, that approaches the complexity of of the microbiome itself. Um, The second aspect is it greatly reduces um, the time and effort required to do cultivation experiments. 
Um, we've mapped out the workflows of, of generating isolates using the prospector system versus the current technology. And there's about a 70 to 80% reduction in hands-on scientist time to generate those isolates. So this is really important in a lab environment where human resources are scarce and valuable, is that if you can reduce the amount of effort it's required um, to generate a lot of isolates in the lab um, for, for downstream screening, then you have, have a fundamental step change in your ability to actually analyze samples, um, pursue research strategies that include cultivation, and push your projects for, forward. The third key aspect of the system is that um, it's very, very compact. And I, I, I don't know whether you've ever been into a microbiology lab, Danny, but um, you usually walk into it and the benches are stacked high with piles and piles of Petri dishes or 96-well plates. And often the, you need a large number just to process one sample. So having a very compact, data-dense, sample-dense uh, modality for cultivating uh, frees up time and space for you to um, now instead of processing one sample at a time because your technology is so cumbersome, you can now co contemplate um, testing many, many samples in parallel and also testing many, many different conditions. So the speed and scope of your research goes up by an order of magnitude and your programs and your insights develop so much faster. So that, that's the core of, of the system. Is, is enabling just a really high throughput, um, highly um, efficient method of getting to the isolates that you want to study as quickly as possible in this lab environment. What's the range of applications for this technology? Um, so the, the kind of um, things that people want to do um, with this technology, and it's kind of, you know, the definition of an application, um, you know, we could talk about, but... You know, basically, you know, the, the use cases, I think, that are, are really common. And, and cultivation is a really standard workflow in, in microbiology labs. So, you know, every microbiology lab streaks things on plates and tries to cultivate. Every microbiome lab out there um, at some point is, is trying to cultivate isolates. So the core use case is, is just cultivation, making that faster, easier, and more productive, and getting a broader range of, of species out of your sample for you to study. So the use cases where that um, is people tend to use it. So the first one is building, building strain libraries. So, you know, a lot of people are, are interested in building libraries of microbial strains that are derived from many samples, um, you know, all over the country or all over the world, and producing a biobank of strains that they can then screen or um, have available to them as they pursue their studies. And, and then they say, hey, you know, this study indicates that this bacteria may be interesting. I'll go to my strain library, pull that out and study it in more detail or else they're using it to mine for product candidates. So if I'm a, a large company and I have a strain collection that has you know, 10,000 different variants of, of microbes from all over the world in it, and I'm looking for a particular feature, um, you know, a, a microbial species that does something 
specific that I'm interested in, then I go to my strain collection and I screen that for the capability that I want. So what they want is a very rich and diverse biobank of, of samples that they can then mine for product candidates. Um, another use case is... Um, you know, uh, slow-growing bacteria is, is a big one. So typically slow-growing bacteria are very difficult to isolate on petri dishes because they tend to get overgrown quite um, uh, rapidly by the fast growers on the array. Um, so, we, you know, we, we've, we're working with people now that are using our system to um, isolate fast growers in a far more, you know, faster and, and cost-effective fashion, and the way the chip is engineered, it, it basically stops fast growers growing over the device, I mean, and so the slow growers have, have time to, to come up and be harvested. Um, so that's another um, specific uh, arena. And then I think a third use case, and this is kind of where we started, is that you know, if I'm an associate professor in an in a academic lab somewhere, and you know, I have a RA or a, or a postdoc in my lab, and I'm working on a biological system, um, say I'm working on a disease state, and I have patient samples, and then I do my various experiments and my sequencing analysis, and I find something really interesting that uh, a, a particular microbial species that hey, you know, I, I want to study that more. Um, and and understand because this looks really interesting, really interesting piece of science. Then they use our system to go in and specifically isolate um, that microbe rapidly, so that they can take it out and then do you know whole genome sequencing on it. They can study its biochemistry, its physiology, and then test it in the disease system that they have just to understand. You know, is this bug doing something? You know, was my initial thought about that uh, microbial species, was it correct? And now I've got the species in hand and, and I can test it. Um, and then, you know, that, that's a whole whole new approach to, you know, kind of um, targeting uh, an understanding of disease. Is GALT unique in doing what it's doing? Or are there competitors offering similar high-throughput microbial analysis? No, this is, I mean, this is a really interesting question. So the majority of folks that, um, you know, out there are, are using Petri dishes and, and 96-well plates um, to cultivate bacteria. Um, so the status quo is, is a competitor of ours. Um, there is, um, an, you know, kind of people out there that produce automation um, devices. Um, so, you know, there's colony pickers, for example, out, out there on the market. Um, this is essentially automation of the status quo. Um, so they, they take Petri dishes or they take 96-well plates, and what they've done is essentially build a huge robotic system just to process those things faster. These tend to be expensive. Um, they, you know, there's a lot of work moving the arrays around and such like and, and whatever. But in terms of what's on the market, um, you know, they, that's it um, out there. You know, there have been some attempts in the literature and, and other folks kind of looking at, um, you know, alternative ways of, of doing cultivation. Um, but there's currently no alternatives for folks out there that, you know, want to, um, you know, change the way they do things. What's the business model here? Are you simply in the business of selling equipment and reagents, or do you also do this as a service or somehow engage in data collection or other 
other applications? So our, our business model is um, very clean and it's well established and it's selling instruments uh, to the laboratory. Um, the, the cultivation arrays um, that are used uh, in conjunction with the system are, are consumables. So a, a customer will, will look at our system, say, yes, this can help me accelerate my research. They buy the instrument, they place it into the lab, and then as they uh, cultivate different samples, you know, over time they, they use arrays and then buy more arrays from us. Um, and so that, that's just the, the razor, razor blade model. And this is um, similar or exactly the same in concept to what companies like 10X Genomics do, what companies like Illumina do, um, you know, kind of applied biosystems and life technologies on their instrumentation side. So it's a very, very well-established model. In terms of service, um, we currently don't have um, a service operation at this point. Um, we, you know, if, if people wanted us to process samples, we we would, you know, talk about that on a case by case basis, and you know, we we could do that if if people were interested. But we don't have a, a firmly established uh, service capability at this point. We've seen a, a great drop in the price of sequencing. How much of a barrier is price to deploying your technology, and is there that similar type of opportunity to see advances in price and speed, or is this technology at a, a point where the it's efficient enough for wide usage? Um, let me see. So, uh, so pricing, so a system that adds value uh, significantly in the lab environment and is, is priced to be appropriately, um, is, is, this is going to be able to sell. Um, so in terms of pricing on, on, or the way we think about our system, we don't want it to be such a expensive and, and complex system that only major research centers, um, you know, kind of around the world can use it. We want the system to be something that any microbiome lab um, can have access to, bring into their lab and, and utilize. Because the ultimate goal of what we're doing is to accelerate the whole field of microbiome science by many, many you know, by, by, by one or two decades, by providing tools to everyone who's interested in um, studying the microbiome and having access to that so the whole field benefits from it and moves forward because as I think as I started out at the beginning that this field is so critically important to everything that we do um, and you know I see the role of our company is, is helping to accelerate that that as much as possible so the system I mean this is a, a brand new platform for life science this didn't exist four years ago um, you know we're, we're just getting started in terms of you know, the capabilities of the system and, you know, we have a, a lot of exciting things um, to do with the system going forward. Um, so over time that will develop. Um, but currently this, as, as in the state as, as, as it's in now, um, it has a huge amount of benefit to microbiome research labs and we'll just build from that. Peter Chrisley, CEO of Galt. Peter, thanks so much for your time today. Good. Thank you very much, Danny. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. 
To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.